press and record. I don't want to get dosed. I just got dosed. All right. I'm ready. Me too. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Derek. Derek, it's good to see you. Good to see you too, man. You know what? I had a question for you. Yeah, hit me up, man. All right. So I've been hearing a lot about this Oktoberfest. It's okay? a thing. Yep. I got a lot of questions, but one <laughs> big one. Okay. A big one. Okay. Just one big one. Why isn't it starting October? Yeah, uh, interesting. So I actually know the answer to this. So Oktoberfest was started by one of the the German emperors, like in the 1300s, 1400s. I don't have to. I'm have to. You're putting me on the spot, so I didn't look this up. But it was it was a celebration of his wedding, and it okay. was a, supposed to culminate like sometime around um, the uh, uh, like harvest, the fall harvest, I guess. Okay. Uh, so you know, around September, October. Um, right I don't know exactly why it's not in October. I don't. I don't think it actually means like October the month, um, like we think it does. And so, yeah, generally speaking, like in Bavaria and stuff, Oktoberfest is actually not in October; it's in September. So last week, um, they had a big Oktoberfest down in Mainstrasse, where my neighborhood, which is a very you know Mainstrasse Main Street, it's a German for Main Street, very German neighborhood in Cincinnati. And for those who don't know, Cincinnati actually has a very rich German culture. We had our Oktoberfest last week. This week, Derek, is Oktoberfest in Cincinnati, which, according to what I've read on the internet, which you have to always trust, this is the biggest Oktoberfest outside of Germany. Get out. In the world. Yeah. So Cincinnati, Zinzinnati is what they call it, um, right by our office downtown. So um, anyway, kind of cool. We're going to try to go out there, walk, because we live right across the river. We're going to walk across the bridge and go try to go down there this weekend if the kids cooperate. But uh, I got my hat. I'm really excited. I got my hat, Derek. I got uh, I got a couple pins. I got my Louisiana pin. I got, a, you know, got to represent. I'm excited. That sounds exciting. I got my mustache, Derek. I don't know if you could tell. I'll look in my uh, Zoom. Let me let me see oh, my face yeah. in the camera. It's, I got uh, my mustache wax in. Got curling up in the ends. Amy thinks I look like a complete idiot. Um, but you know what? That's the that's the best part of being married. Is um, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, but uh, <laughs> the the one thing. Kevin <laughs> thinks I'm like an idiot all the time. The one thing that I know is that the damn thing should have been called September fifth. <laughs> all right, uh, that's, all. Yeah. that's it. You know, Derek. Ah, this, you know, it's a uh, funny. Um, yeah, Amy and I. This is totally off topic. Obviously, well, on topic for this, off topic for a software podcast. But back when Amy and I started dating, when we were in New Orleans, we used to go to the Deutsches House down in New Orleans, the German oh, German house. Yeah, you remember that huge German uh, American culture organization club, I guess, down mm-hmm. in New Orleans. And they, they had the longest running Oktoberfest down in New Orleans. The building that they had was built in the 20s, really beautiful old building, which they tore down to build a hospital. Very upset about that. But anyway, we used to go there and they would start in September, last week in September, and they would do every single weekend in October. They would do Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Amy and I would go every single night. <laughs> we would go every night, dude. Three nights. We went Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Damn, and Sunday. Bro. We spent so much money, and this is back when both of us were making like $30,000 a year. We spent a large majority of our paychecks <laughs> buying gigantic beers, drinking, we're doing the Hogan's Hero March, chicken dance, all that stuff. It was so much fun. Um, anyway, it's good stuff. Anyway. 
I love it. Uh, well, I just looked this up. It says, uh, why does Oktoberfest start in September? And it turns out it was originally in October. They moved it up because the days were longer in September. Oh, Visitors so can stay, can stay out longer. later to enjoy the gardens and the famous fields that make up the festival grounds without getting chilly. That's what this website says. Oh, that's actually very um, practical. Which, uh, you know, is, uh, I have to believe it, because it's on the internet. So. But they didn't change the name to Septemberfest. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, you know, you can't, it's hard to rebrand. <laughs> it know? is hard to rebrand. They already had the shirts done. <laughs> they already had the shirts printed out. <laughs> All the steins were printed. Yeah, you can, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah, only so much you could do. Uh, so, Derek, last week, man, I have to be honest, I, I loved your scary story. Uh, that may have been one of my favorite things that we have ever... <laughs> You've ever put out <laughs> good work, excellent work. I thought it was fantastic. Honestly, Thanks, when man. I listened to it, the first thing I thought was, I wonder where he got this story because this is so well done. I just assumed you found it on the internet and was reading it, but you wrote <laughs> you wrote it yourself. <laughs> and I am I beyond impressed. So if you I haven't listened time. to that yet, go back. It's only it's only about ten minutes long or so. But Derek wrote some uh, scary story, uh, scary software stories for Halloween. And uh, we're going to be hopefully trying to do a few of those and uh, yeah. put them out up until October or sorry, up until Halloween. So keep an eye on that. I'm going to try to write one about uh, some UX horror stories. It'll be fun. Excited. So keep an eye out for that. So Derek, what do you want to talk about today, man? You know, I want to talk about something you wrote. Oh. How about that? How about that? Turn like the tables it. Okay, on Turn you. it on me. Watch out. So you wrote a little something about how Figma is getting purchased by Adobe. It's true. Yes, and they are. And the implications of that. 20 on billion. 20 dollars. billion. 20 billion dollars. Can you believe that? Oh, God damn. I wish I had like just a fraction of a 1%. You think anybody paid for that scary story? Uh, <laughs> we'll say, I don't know. Figma, if you're listening and you got some yeah, money you want to throw around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got a story for you. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. And you, you, you wrote about how it impacts or could potentially impact the UX community. And I wanted to oh, get your thoughts yeah. on um, that. Pod, also, man. what I'm, what I've noticed that what I was commenting on really was there's a lot of people, and I, I, you know, I, I do a lot of mentoring on ADP lists, and I tell people this a lot too. And they, they talk about their work, they talk about their skill set. A lot of times, people they start off with the skills that they know, the hard skills. The I'm really good at this tool. I've designed this design system, or I made this prototype, or I figured out. How to build this component and, or whatever, right? And the thing that I've kind of seen in the last few days is a lot of maybe young designers are lamenting the fact that Figma was purchased by Adobe. And in their heads, and honestly, who knows what's going to happen because it doesn't necessarily mean this is the case. But from their perspectives, they see Adobe ruining Figma, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, if you think about this, this Adobe's got a history of doing this. I mean, they bought Macromedia. I don't know if you remember Macromedia. Back yeah, yeah. in the early 2000s, 2005, eight, I can't remember exactly what it was, but they made, you know, Fireworks and Dreamweaver actually was a macromedia thing. Flash yes, was a macromedia. Right. He used to use that. He used to use Dreamweaver. Yeah, back in the day, right? A lot of people did. And so, um, you know, those things are basically dead now. Now, are they dead because Adobe killed them or are they dead because the industry itself kind of evolved and you didn't, you know, IntelliJ was just a better platform and and you know other tools that were better than than fireworks or other tools were better well flash died because of the security concerns but um you know anyway that yeah. that's the kind of thing that's um that that I was kind of getting at and what I the thing that I was really mostly thinking about was the fact that the tools aren't as important as the things and the reasons and the the why the why we do things mm. 
You know, we talked about this. I, th- I think we talked about this with knowing when to break the rules, right? Knowing the rules well enough to know when to break them. It's the same kind of thing with tools, I think. You have to understand what that tool is doing for you, right? Yeah. You're not just going into Figma and learn and building a prototype in Figma because you, you're supposed to. You're going into Figma and you're building a prototype because that prototype in itself, that thing when you're done, should serve some purpose to help you get to the final result of software being released, right? Are you building a high-fidelity prototype in Figma so that you can run a usability study? Are you building it so that you can hand off specs to engineers? Are you doing it just so that you can share a concept to get buy-in from a stakeholder? You know, so like that, that the reason why you're building those things are why, that's why you're in Figma. It's not just because Figma is there and you're supposed to use Figma. Right. And so the thing that I think a lot of especially young designers fail to realize is they 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 learn Figma. They go to these boot camps, maybe or they maybe even in a school and in a, 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 you know, a four year degree or something. And they teach them Figma and they say, you're supposed to use Figma. Here's how you create a symbol. Here's how you design a button. Here's how you design an interaction. Here's how you use these animations. Here's how you export as a prototype. Here's how you do all these things. Here are all these plugins that you can use. And instead of talking through i think this is maybe i've been to a boot camp so this is kind of just me maybe generalizing or or thinking through what or maybe making assumptions based on what other people have told me about their experiences in boot camps but they don't really understand it's like you're not creating a prototype because you're supposed to you know like why are you creating a prototype to begin with why are you creating a high fidelity wireframe to begin with are there other tools available that could get you the same thing you know, often, I mean, this is something I've, I've talked about quite a bit, but I would love to see a world where a UX team has a design system that's so well documented and functions so well. And the engineers know the components and, the and, you know, they understand how to use those components in such a way that all a UX team has to do is draw a, a shit on a whiteboard in a room with an engineer and the engineer can take that whiteboard and go put the components together and have a functioning app without yeah. ever needing a high fidelity wireframe. You know, that that tool is just a thing to solve a problem, right? Now some obviously yep. not everybody's there. But it's just kind of one of those things where when you when you focus your career on a tool and you you assign your worth as a, a designer, engineer, whatever, to a tool, and that tool inevitably changes or goes away or becomes something new. What now? You're not a yeah. good designer because you know how to use Figma. You're not a good designer because you can manipulate the component library or you can create a design system or you can create all these amazing, you know, interactions and and transitions from page to page. You're a good designer because you solved a problem for an end user and you were able to work with your engineering team to get that thing actually pushed to production. That's what makes you a good designer. Or at least a good UX designer, right? A visual designer, yeah. obviously, would you would need some design tool. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of thing where it, it's just sort of I'm seeing this, people complaining about Figma and all this. And it's like, yes, the the tool was cool. It's a great tool. But it's going to be gone in a couple years anyway because somebody else is going to come and replace right. Figma. You know, just like Figma it happened could, with is, XD, just yeah. like it happened with Photoshop, just like it happened with Illustrator, just like it happened with Sketch, just like it happened with, with Fireworks and Corel Draw and a, a pen and paper before that, right? So that's that was where I was going with that. That was sort of the idea. I'm, I'm interested because, like, in the case of an engineer, I, I, I assume it's probably similar, right? I mean, you have people that learn IntelliJ, and then you have people that use all kinds of other IDEs. I imagine it's somewhat similar, huh? It absolutely is. And I think that there there's a few things I wanted to touch on. First of all, uh, 
it's a, it's a it's a really compelling concept to know to think about where people should start when they're learning something new. When you talked about the yeah. boot camp, they're teaching people the tool. Mm-hmm. And I wonder sometimes, is that the right way to go about it? Or should you explain the conceptual reason, the purpose, the principle yeah, exactly. behind what you're right. doing first? Here's where I have some like questions about that or mm-hmm. some uh, hesitation. The people who are brand new to doing something, they have no reference, no frame of reference to what a good design is, to what the principles are behind design. And were they to learn those first, it's almost like they have nothing to grab onto, any previous experience to say, yes, I used Dreamweaver, and then I mm-hmm. used this, and then I used Figma, and I used this, and this is why they're all similar, and this is why they're all different. You put in work throughout the years to have that experience so that when you apply the principles on top of it, you have something to tie them to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sucked. That sucked. That was cool. That, But here's why it was all cool. Here's right. what we. Here's what I learned from using those tools. I think for, when I started in, in programming, they did teach us principles, but it was so hard to apply them to any real world concepts until I was oh, like 10 years into my career. And then I started realizing... Jesus, that's why they wanted us to write tests. Oh now, why God, that's why that they is? wanted I'm us curious. to decouple systems. I think for programming, it is difficult in a small setting when you're writing small programs, small example things to envision a world where other people are using your stuff, where other mm. people need to collaborate with you. You know what I mean? And to set that setting at a scale where maybe the organization's bureaucracy is stopping you from doing something you need to do and, and oh, you need to make trade-offs and all, but you should force this specific idea, but not this one, because this one matters and this one doesn't. And uh, it just took me years to realize, oh my God, I should, that was like the most important lesson I ever learned, but I had no <laughs> idea when I learned it, you know? You think and, they would like point that yeah. out though? I, I don't know. That's kind of funny. And it could, it could have been just a, a, a facet of my education that was like, you know, hey, yeah. maybe they could have done a better job, like, you know, or, teaching Or Derek, it, but. you shouldn't have gone out drinking so much. Before, <laughs> for class, that could have been the problem. It was that, that was character building. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. So that was one. Yeah, like that was that. one thing that I. Uh, well, that's that's certainly true. I think that's like the thing maybe with the boot camps, right? Because the the, the thing with the boot camp is, and I'm not knocking boot camps. I'm not. I'm not saying they're not worth it. I'm not saying they're not good. But they the idea behind a boot camp is you do this thing in six months. Yeah. There's only so much you can teach someone in six months. Right. So if I taught you all about the theories in six months and then sent you on your way, you wouldn't be able to do anything because I, I hadn't given you the skills to execute. Yeah. Right. And so I I mean, this is, again, my I've never gone through boot camp. There's a ton of boot camps that do have a bunch of different curriculums. Right. Absolutely. You know, th- this it's not like this is an international certification that's standard across every single boot camp. But, you know, I, some could be better than others. But I imagine what they probably did was, look. Let's teach you the the skills, the hard skills, because you need those and you can't actually execute. You know, whereas from my perspective, you know, I I feel like the soft skills sometimes are more important than some of the hard skills. But then again, if I didn't teach you the hard skills, you'd never be able to put a portfolio together. You know, I also also think about this, too. Yeah, exactly. How do you know? I mean, I don't I don't have an ass. Why I don't have a boot camp, Derek. (laughs) <laughs> um, but you know, I also see this too, similar kind of thing when I, when I review portfolios for UX designers, young UX designers, yeah. they always have the exact same portfolio. 
and it hmm. says, I did this thing, then I did this thing, then I did this other thing, then I did this, then I did this, and I did this. So, you know, an example would be, here's the problem. I had to go do research. Then I created a persona. Then I did this other thing. Then I did this thing. Then I did a high fidelity wireframe. Then I did a prototype. Then I did a usability study. Like just checking off a box, right? As opposed to saying, this was this overall problem and I decided to approach the problem this way. So therefore I created this thing. And then I did this, you know, I had to do this research. The next step was, you know, in order for me to synthesize this in a, a simple digestible concept was to create a persona that everybody could empathize with. I used that persona to then design the right feature set or whatever. And then I ended up doing this. So in order to make sure I had the right thing, then I had to go validate to do, a, you know, so I did a usability study. You're still knocking those things off the, the list, right? But it's not, it's like yeah. there's a reason why you're doing those things. And each of those things are tools, just like Figma is a tool. A usability yeah. study is a tool. A usability study is a tool to get validation, but that's not the only way you can validate. You could validate in any number of ways. You could talk to people. You could talk about an idea. You could talk about a thing. You don't have to show them a high fidelity prototype to validate. Now you might need to show them that in order to validate certain things, you know, but it depends mm -hmm. on what you're trying to validate. Obviously there's a ton of different ways to do that. There's a ton of different ways to design. You could design low fidelity, high fidelity, whiteboard, napkin, paper, you know, sketch, Figma, whatever. It doesn't matter. But all those things, again, are just sort of tools, just like Figma is a tool. There's a solution. There's a thing that you're trying to do. And some of those things are applicable in some plays and not. Some, sometimes, uh, you know, in work, sometimes I do service blueprints. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get to do usability studies. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get to talk to people. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I create high fidelity wireframes. Sometimes I don't. So it all depends on the problem that I'm trying to solve. And if and it also goes back to, to me, to one of these, like this concept of like just being a really great team player, being a very pragmatic team player, knowing when to fight your battles and when not to. If you come out of school and saying to yourself, I have got to follow this step the exact same way every single mm -hmm. time I do a project, you'll never get anything done. Because sometimes there won't be budget for it. Sometimes yeah. there won't be time for it. Right. Sometimes people will fight you and push back. And so you have to understand like why you're doing those things so that you can sell it and say, look, it's really critical for this step that we do this thing. Or it's really critical for me that I have Figma because one reason or another versus, mm -hmm. you know, um, I just every, everyone uses Figma. So I have to use Figma. You know, right. or everybody does usability studies, so I have to do usability. Everybody creates personas, so I have to create personas. Everybody does this because so I have to do this. So it's just one of those things. Like I think it goes back to this sort of like um, being inflexible. You know, like mm -hmm. oh my god, Figma's dead. What am I going to do now? Well, learn another tool. <laughs> learn the next tool. <laughs> Find another tool. I mean, Figma's not dead yet, obviously. But like, let's say Figma got canceled tomorrow. Adobe shut it down. And said use XD use XD or find another tool or use pen and paper or whatever. I mean, it's going to suck because Figma does a lot of really cool things, but that doesn't mean you can't do your job anymore. So that's, that's sort of one of those things. I think there's, there's, there's just sort of this idea that, that like Figma was the only answer. And I, I think Figma was great. I, I actually never used it for work, but I did get to use it for some smaller side projects. So I didn't really get to explore like Figma in depth. I think a lot of people probably used it way more than me and probably got latched onto it because it is a really cool piece of software. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it's amazing, dude. It's like if you were to take Sketch or Illustrator or Photoshop, put it in a browser 
and actually be like really performant. I mean, it was so snappy. Like I have taken entire sketch files that I did for like freelance projects before and imported them into Figma. And these were like maybe a hundred artboards or more. I don't know. And in sketch, it would, it would lag. It was slow. It took up like my, my computer selling. It was going to take off, you know, the fan was going so fast and I put it on this thing and in a browser in Chrome, it was smooth as butter. Just amazing. I mean, it's pretty incredible. And then it's also like Miro or Mural or something where a bunch of people can get in and and all manipulate the the file at the same time. So it was browser-based, which is really cool. So anyway, it's a really cool piece of software. I also think about the free markets, though. Like, if Figma isn't doing what everyone wants Figma to do, there will be another set of investors that are willing to put up $10 billion, (laughs) just like they did with Figma, to finance the software that meets the market demand. Absolutely. I'm, I'm fairly confident of that. I mean, it's not like Figma's the last thing to exist. Uh, so, you know, for everybody out there that's worried about Figma, one, I don't necessarily think Adobe buying it is, is necessarily a bad thing. I think Figma did a lot with Dreamweaver. They, I'm sorry. Uh, Adobe did a lot with Dreamweaver. They did a lot with with Flash. They kind of killed off Fireworks, but I think Fireworks was directly competing with, um, you know, some of the tools they already had. In this case, XD doesn't new, do nearly the stuff that that Figma does. Maybe they'll take it and maybe they'll combine it. What I was reading was that they're they're supposed to, according to the CEO of Figma, they're going to give leave, leave them alone and let them have quite a bit of autonomy. So maybe they learned their lesson. You know, clearly they mm. bought Figma because their tool XD was not working and not cutting it. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of interesting to see what happens. I'm not necessarily convinced that Adobe is going to kill it. Um, I still think Adobe makes some really great products. Um, you know, I use audition for the podcast. I use, you know, illustrator Photoshop for doing the graphic design stuff still on the side. And, um, you know, they don't do, you know, UX design software very well with XD. I don't think they, they execute it very well, but we'll see. I don't know. I'm I'm not, I'm not super upset about it. You ain't a hater. You ain't a hater. I ain't hating baby. I ain't hating. That boy ain't hating. You know, it's, uh, it's it's an interesting piece of the puzzle because we talked about how, you know, when you learn something new, uh, boot camps, things like that, you touched on those items. The thing that I always got tripped up on was when you, you, you came out, you came out a problem with principles like this, like you were talking about, uh, just going back to that concept, mm-hmm. but then you didn't follow it up with an example. And, you know, it makes me think I had, I had someone I worked with, an architect, I'm not going to say his last name. His first name was Nikolai. Okay. Uh, I used to, in my head, I'd say Nikolai Cherry. All right. Like Eagle Eye Cherry. All right. That's what I'd say in my head. He didn't know that. I remember Nikolai. Yeah. Yeah, To Nikolai. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, uh, it might not have even been the guy you know. Might have been a different Nikolai. Oh, sure. Yeah. All right. There's a lot of them out there. Um, He had a Romanian accent. It's a different. Different Nikolai. Nikolai's very common in Romania. Yeah. It's very, very, yeah. Big, big country. Anyway. This particular, this particular guy, uh, he had some kind of allergy to explaining things using examples, like actual tool examples. So he explained the concept like uh, directed acyclic graphs or, you know, um, some other some other computer science concept or math concept. And he'd be like, I don't understand. Can you give me an example? Mm-hmm. He said, you shouldn't need an example. It's a concept. <laughs> and I was like, but I don't want to understand. Can you use the concept in an example. <laughs> yeah. Can you use can you use the word in a sentence, please? And and he couldn't do that. Oh, wow. If he gave me three examples of the thing, I probably would have understood the concept. And it takes me back to the 
the whole thing about boot camps. Mm-hmm. What if they arrange their their curriculum around these core concepts, and instead of just using Figma, they teach you the core concept idea mm-hmm. in multiple tools, even going back to when like paper, pen and paper. Mm, yeah. Um, for 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 situations where you don't have the money to purchase a tool, yeah. I mean, how valuable would that be? You go into a company, and be like, no, they taught us how to do this on paper, on paper. Right, right, right. Dunder yeah. Mifflin. What? What? So, um, well, that's, that's the kind interesting. Of thing. You know, well, I see. It's funny because you mentioned that going back to the reason why Figma was so popular. Some one of, one of my buddies, uh, Matthew, actually mentioned this. We were talking about LinkedIn. He commented on my post, but. Um, one of the like, people there's two, I think maybe two reasons why people are upset about Adobe. And this is actually, I gotta give a shout out to Matthew. Cause this was his sort of theory here. There's a lot of people who are upset about Figma because of how they approached, uh, working with designers or how they approach building software for designers. They were very empathetic. Uh, they understood how people wanted to work. They understood that people needed to share, that people need to reuse things, you know, that kind of stuff. And they actually were, were quite active in how they build stuff. And so there's a there's a set of people I think that are upset this week, not because Figma's going away, but that that company, not the Figma, the tool, the company is going away, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. That idea is going away, right? Then you also have people who are upset because of the tool itself, I think. Yeah. Um, but then you've also got those, you know, that, that first set that are more upset about the idea. And the thing with Figma that I am concerned with about Adobe, Adobe is very expensive. It is very cost prohibitive, right? Yeah. And if you think about why Figma was very popular, one, it was browser based, which meant it was device agnostic. If you think about a competitor like Sketch, Sketch was Mac only. So you had to have you had to have a, a, a Mac, not a cheap computer, in order to design this. So there's a lot of people in, in developing countries, you know, like Lagos uh, in, in Africa, for instance, Nigeria. That's a, like a huge tech hub in Africa. There's a lot of people out there that can't afford Macs but are really great designers, right? Mm-hmm. Why should they be left out? Then you think about Adobe. Adobe, very processor intensive, you know. People need those freaking Mac Pros that cost $10,000 just to, to run some Adobe video editing software, right? Yeah. So, I mean, Photoshop, Illustrator, great programs, but they are pretty damn data uh, uh, processor intense. And when I'm running those on my crappy little Windows Dell that I have, <laughs> Ain't no good. It, it takes me a long time to edit a couple of things for these episodes every week just because that computer can't handle it. So again, Figma, very performant. I didn't need a fast, expensive computer with with the most RAM I could buy and the highest processor to get these things to run, right? Yeah. So that was also very easy entry. They also made it free, freemium, and it was free for educators or for, for students. So if you had an education oh, URL, like EDU, you could get it for free. You could also do a freemium where you get three, which is how I've used it. I've never paid for Figma, but I get three artboards or three projects rather for free, totally free. Adobe's never done that. So Adobe charges quite a bit. It's very expensive. Plus you need to, you know, you need to have uh, the the very intense uh, processor, uh, very expensive computer. Second, it also included like collaboration tools. So you didn't need another set of licenses for something like Miro or Mural or one of these other whiteboarding tools. You know, so that was also very helpful. It included prototyping and design all in one tool. So you didn't have to have, you paid for Sketch, you didn't have to pay for another prototyping piece of of software like Envision or something. So it made it very easy to enter, 
right? And this is, I think, one of the things people are maybe most concerned with, that they're going to change that model, that they're going to change some of the stuff. I don't know. I mean, I I can't imagine they're going to make it less performant. I don't imagine they're going to pull it off the browser and, and turn it into a, a, stand, like a, a native application, but maybe they will. I don't know. Who knows? Um, you know, the pricing per month, obviously, is a huge concern. Adobe is very expensive. You know, if you want to pay for Creative Cloud for the whole suite, it's like hundreds and hundreds of dollars and it's mm. subscription based. So it's not like you can just pay $500 up front and have it forever like you used to do with Adobe back in the day. Now it's a subscription based. You got to pay per month and it's very expensive. So, you know, that's the kind of stuff I think people are maybe upset about versus yeah. the, the, the paid thing, you know, like it's funny because I can I remember getting IntelliJ at work and the license like $2,000, which is insane. But. It was one time, you know, I didn't have to keep yeah. paying that over and over and over again. So once I got the license, it was a one-time fee. But even then, IntelliJ, it's an IDE. It can do all kinds of things, but you could write software with Notepad, you know? You don't have yeah. to have some fancy IDE. There's just all these features that it offers that integrate with other things and, you know. Makes the, the stuff, life a little bit easier sometimes, for yeah. sure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's certainly there's automated Quality automation tools stuff. that check things and linters that make sure you're not screwing stuff mm-hmm. up. But, uh, you know, in theory, you could open a black and white text editor and edit a website, you know, create, a, create yeah. an app that way if you, you know, were a sadist. <laughs> so I have a, I have a sort of a, a little phrase I use when I think of suites, big application suites. I say, uh, ooh, that sure is a suite, but is that price bitter? That's what I say. <laughs> sweet is sweet, like but that. the price is bitter. I like that, Derek. My old saying. Um, Did you make that up yourself? You heard that somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just made it you up. Made, you just made it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just made it up. Just make it up, and I say it all the time. I say it all the time. It's I my will old say saying. It all the time going forward. Yes, going <laughs> forward, I will say it all the time. Um, yeah, that's fascinating stuff, man. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, off my soapbox for a minute. I get off my soapbox. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I think more <laughs> yeah, UX designers yeah. just remember, man. You know, don't base your career on a tool. Your value of a, as a designer is not based on the tool that you use, you know, and if, if you ever go into an interview and some company doesn't want to hire you because you don't have experience using one tool over another, you dodged a bullet because that company is probably going to, once, once that tool goes away, that company is probably going to go to shit because they're not going to be able to know how to handle any changes. So You got it, brother. You know? You got it, brother. Yeah, I mean, all it's all about like, the yeah. theory. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't go to a... Uh, uh, it's it's interesting because like if you think about like utilities in your house, people come into your house to fix things. Like if they look at your your plumbing system and they're like, "Oh man, I don't know how to use that specific brand of tool." Right, right. And I right. guess I guess you're gonna have to get another plumber. You know, like that that wrench isn't gonna. I don't know how to use it. Like, yeah. I don't know how to use that wrench. I only know how to use the uh, the the wrench that like is really expensive that um, they give me at my office. Yeah, I have to I have to use that one very specific uh, wrench. I was thinking about this like actually like in terms of other things like if you know uh, I don't know, but I think it's not even like a hammer. It's it's like you said the the specific hammer made out of some specific comp- yeah, yeah you know yeah. Uh, a compound or some composite hammer with a special head. It's like I can only hit nails with that one head and I can't. Yes, exactly. You know, um, I was thinking like, what would it make sense to have this analogy you're the master of analogies i should have come to you straight away with this but you know would it would it made sense to say like well i i could use a a screw i could screw the two pieces of boards together i have wood glue i have clamps i have staples i have hammers i have nails you know um i think that to me is sort of the other thing too like with ux it might not just be the hammer thing it's like 
maybe it's not a hammer. Maybe this particular thing needs a screw because it's going to be, you know, there's more force pulling it apart. And so it has to have, you know, maybe not just a screw, maybe it needs wood glue, you know, plus a rubber band. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I was just got to think about that. That's just, well, it's, 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 yeah. It's analogy. always getting to why, why, why is this thing necessary? Why am I even using this tool? What's the purpose of it? So True. that's the whole, uh, that's the whole thing, bro. True that, baby. All right, Derek. Well, that was a good chat today, man. Oh, always, always a pleasure. Always. <laughs> All right. So check out uh, RetroTimePodcast.com. If you haven't listened to Derek's uh, Software Horror Story yet, check it out. It's really good. We're going to have some more coming up leading up to Halloween, so keep an eye out for that. Uh, until next time, Derek, um, I think that's all I've got, baby. I say dream the dream, and also I say take it easy. See ya. So, um... I did have something I wanted to share with you uh, related to Oktoberfest, uh, and I think it might, you know, get the, it might be a good way to start the, the cast, you mm-hmm. know? All right? Hit me up. Uh, there's only one way, only one way to respond to this. Ready? Is chicken dance a chicken dance? No. That was that was the chicken dance. Is that chicken dance? She's too fat for me. That's she's too fat. I just said fast like you tell the kids. Yeah. no, the chicken dance is I was doing that. We were doing that as a family yesterday, the chicken dance. And let me tell you something. Watching my little son uh-huh. doing the chicken dance. It's good stuff. It's one of the proudest moments of my life. Oh, Sweet. Oh, I love it. Big. Yeah. What you got? Speaking of my son. Yeah. Hit I'm, I'm switching switching gears switching here. Speaking gears. of my son, uh, he got his yellow belt karate. Oh, all right. Congratulations. Yeah. So he's uh he's kicking hard. I like it. All kicking right. Hard. Break kicking any wood yet? Belt. Does he have to break any wood with his head, or is that? I, 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 I need some orange belt, dude. Come on, that's <laughs> all. you know the rules. You don't break, you don't uh, break to the yellow orange. before orange. I mean, if you're thinking yeah, about the rainbow, it's, it's red, orange, yellow, green, blue. Um, it, there's it not work a ton the same of way. It's like white, yellow, orange. Then they call something a line belt. 